Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Well, hello and welcome to the Vineyard. Uh, We are in week five of our sermon series we're calling The Story of Jesus, and it's an adventure through the book of Mark. And so if you're joining us for the first time today, I want to say welcome. You've picked the perfect week to be here. Any week really is the perfect week to be here. We're just getting started. We've been in the first chapter of Mark for the last four weeks. We're going to be in it today, and we will also be in it for a bit next week. So we're really taking very seriously this idea of pulling Pulling apart uh, these passages verse by, by verse, passage by passage, and, and just sucking the marrow out of life, so to speak, or out of these, these scriptures, learning everything that we possibly can from them. And it's been a really fun journey so far. And again, if you're joining us for the first time, there's two things that you're going to want. I want to invite you to come along on this adventure with us. We're going to be at it for most of a year and, um, and get to know who Jesus really was, because that's what Christianity is all about. It's about Jesus. It's about who he really was, not who we think he was or who we heard that he was. And that's why we're taking this time and doing that. But there's two things you need to come along on the adventure or that I really want to encourage you to get to come along on the adventure. Uh, The first is a travel journal just to write down notes and thoughts and insights, revelations, things that God will show you along the way. Some of you will fill out like 10 of these this year and others of us will probably use one, you know, because we're all different, but you're going to learn some things along the way. Uh, Write them down. And if you need some Jesus, uh, the story of Jesus stickers, let us know. We'll get those to you as well. So you can decorate your travel journal. So there's that can be any kind of notebook. The other thing you're going to want is a paper Bible. Uh, You can get a digital Bible if you want. They're absolutely free. Paper Bibles are not terribly expensive. We've got some recommendations on our website. Uh, But the reason a paper Bible is so good for a trip like this is because you can write in the margins and underline words, and, and you'll have this for the rest of your life. Uh, I've, got, I've got Bibles that I've got all drawn up in and, and written and where God spoke something to me and they're treasures. They're things that I will give to my kids. And I want to encourage you to get one of these for the, the journey as well. And I'll be encouraging you to write in it today as well. Well, like I said, we're in the first chapter of, of the book of Mark. Um, we've just a real quick recap, you know, Jesus we meet Jesus when he's 30 years old. He, uh, to begin his public ministry, he travels to John the Baptist, is baptized, has an experience with God, goes off into the wilderness for 40 days, comes back, starts calling some of his disciples and they're following him. And then where Jen left us last week is, is he, was, um, he was in the synagogue It was uh, really the first day of public ministry for Jesus that we see in the book of Mark. He shows up at church on Saturday morning. Now, if you don't know, the Jewish people celebrate Sabbath from sunset on Friday 
to sunset on Saturday. And so Sunday or Saturday morning, they go to the synagogue and they have their teaching, kind of like what we would do church. So I'm going to refer to the synagogue as church and, and Sabbath as church. And so, so Jesus is in church and it's a church service like they've never had before. I mean, Jesus is teaching differently than they've ever heard because all these rabbis, all they do, they, they will read the scripture and then they'll say, well, this rabbi says this about this scripture and this rabbi says this about this scripture. And Jesus reads the scripture and goes, all right, this is what this means. And he's teaching as though he knows what he's talking about. And he has authority to teach those things. And people are just eating out of his hands like, he was talking just to me. He wrote that sermon just for me. And, and they'd never experienced that before. And then a, a demonized guy, a guy with a demon, kind of like there's this flare up. He's like, what do you want with me, son? And, like, and Jesus is like, shh. You know, the whole bag of, ch ch he shuts that down and very non-drama-like just says out and the demon leaves and it's, and it's done. But like, they've never seen that before in Capernaum, you know? I mean, like, like if you were going to miss a Sunday or a Saturday in their case, that was not the one to miss. Big stuff happened to church. So Jesus leaves church and that's where we're going to pick up today so if you have your bible open up to mark chapter 1 and verse 29 they're getting ready to leave church and um and uh the, the word is out something big happened at church you know you know when you leave church something big happened to church everybody's talking word is out around capernaum they're all talking about what happened at church on sunday so in verse 29 it says this as soon as they left the synagogue they went with james and john to the home of Simon and Andrew. Now, Simon uh, is eventually, Jesus gives him the nickname Peter. So he will be referred to from here on out either as Simon, Simon Peter, or Peter, okay? Same guy, just so you know. Um, he is in Jesus' inner, inner circle. They become very close. He ends up leading the movement after Jesus leaves. But they're going over to Simon's house, Simon and his brother Andrew, and uh, and here's something you need to understand about the way they lived then. They're in this little town called Capernaum. It's right on the Sea of Galilee, uh, inland lake, also called Lake Gennesaret, uh, in the northern part of Israel. And he, they're in a little town called Capernaum. And Capernaum is this lovely resort town, fishing village. It's right on the northwest corner of the lake. There's a major uh, Roman thoroughfare that comes through there, so lots of people come traveling through Capernaum, so they, they get all the latest news, know what's going on. It's kind of a cool little place to be. And Jesus makes this his home base. Now, you might notice that his name, uh, if you hear Jesus referred to, he's never referred to as Jesus of Capernaum, right? He's Jesus of what? Nazareth, because that's where he spent the first 30 years of his life. But he kind of makes Capernaum his home base um, and, and hangs out there. But they live in this family, in family units. It's not like modern nuclear family where you got mom, dad, and three kids and a minivan and, and you got your own house, right? They live in these, these complexes where it's the extended family, grandma, grandpa, mother-in-law. There could be anywhere from 20 to 70 people living in one of these complexes. So they go back to Peter's uh, and Andrew's place and Peter's mother-in-law lives there. And... Um, and it says, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. Now, we could just read right over that and miss really the, the, the weight of what's going on there. Um, you know, back then, they did not have ibuprofen. Uh, they, they, a fever 
could end up in death or it could end up in blindness. It could end up in a lot of things because they'd had no modern medicine to manage that back then. And so there was a, a certain amount of fear associated with getting sick because they didn't have the modern, modern doctors the way we do. I think COVID gives us a little bit of a sense of what they experienced because there's a little bit of fear. There's fear associated with COVID because that's, this thing's new and it doesn't always end well, right? But, they, but generally, if you got a fever, nobody was worried about that. You just kind of, today, then it was a big deal. So it says, they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her and took her hand and helped her up. And it says, the fever left her. All right, so Jesus heals mom. Um, she's better. She, she jumps up. She's feeling good. This is our first healing in the book of Mark. Now, Jesus will heal other people, and we'll see that through the book, but this is the first one. And I just want you to get your head around this a little bit, because I, I think Jesus is is discovering some things, you know? I, I, I mean, th this is the first one, or at least the first recorded one. So it's, he's at the front end of figuring out what he can do and, um, and, and, and what he's here for. And that's very, very important. It says, after the fever left her, that she began to wait on them. Now, I know some of you guys are thinking, wait, 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 wait. I mean, they, he had to heal a woman so that she could wait on, wait on him. This is, this is the patriarchal oppression of the hegemony over the oppressed classes. Oh, my goodness. Shut up. That is not what's going on here. All right. Here's what's going on here. She is responding the way people typically respond when they experience Jesus. See, when you have an encounter with the living Jesus, one of the things that begins to change in you is you become more and more of a servant. Uh, it's the response of gratitude to what Jesus has done for you. And, and Jesus taught this. He modeled this. We see this throughout the scripture, this idea of responding with service. And in fact, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not serving other people, there's, there's a question as to whether you really have had an encounter with the living Jesus because this is the natural response to having an encounter like that. When D Jesus touches your life, you serve. Well, that evening after sunset, it goes on to say, uh, if you've got your Bibles out, underline after sunset and write a line over to the margin and write Sabbath there in the margin. We'll come back to that. It says, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. How many of the sick and demon-possessed? All of them. All right, so we got a crowd showing up. Now, after sunset is important because this is Sabbath, right? And God has told the people of Israel, look, I want you to honor the Sabbath, keep it holy, don't work on the Sabbath. Jesus is down with that. The problem is, is that their religious leaders over the centuries have made all these rules, all these man-made rules about what work is. You can only take this many steps. You can only carry this much weight. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can do this. And, and all these rules to the point that their religion was getting in the way of people's relationship with God. That's just one of the things that Jesus just rails on the religious leaders about because their religious rules, not God's rules, but man's rules, were getting in the way and keeping people from God. And so these people could have shown up earlier in the day, but it was the Sabbath. 
They weren't only allowed to walk so many steps. They couldn't carry their sick relatives to Jesus. And so they had to wait. Now, Jesus doesn't make a deal of it here, but I'm telling you, Jesus doesn't like it when we use religious rules to keep people from him. And the, you know, I mean, technically Jesus shouldn't have healed Peter's mother because later, and he probably didn't know that at the time, but later the religious leaders are like, well, if you, you can't heal people on the Sabbath because that would be considered work. Well, nobody ever really pushed that one before Jesus. So they're, you know, they're, they're working through that. So, but I guarantee the buzz from church and then, you know, I mean, they live in this compound. They're not, they're not the only ones that know that Peter's mom her mother-in-law was better. This buzz starts around town. And, um, and people start coming out. And we see this in verse 33. It says, the whole town, all right, all the sick and demon-possessed, the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So he heals people. They have this amazing ministry time in the evening after the sun goes down, and this goes late into the night. This goes late into the night. And Jesus deals with demonic oppression. Jen dealt with this a little bit last week. But what we see is is this, this collision of two kingdoms in the spiritual realm. You have Jesus who has authority, clearly the demons see Jesus and they're like, oh, don't, don't hurt us, don't, you know. Clearly Jesus is more powerful. Uh, and he seems to antagonize them. Wherever he comes into contact with them, there, there seems to be this, this um, manifestation from the spiritual realm into the physical realm. And Jesus just takes care of it very matter-of-factively. Hey, get out, you know. But, but that's what happens. He seems to agitate them. Um, and he won't let them speak because they know who he is. They continue to say, look, you're the Holy One of God, don't you? Know? And Jesus is like, shh, shh, shh. all right, quiet. Because he's got some things that he needs to do and he doesn't want everyone to know that he's the Messiah quite yet because it will make what he needs to do impossible to do. So he, he's shutting them up at that point. And we see the collision between these two kingdoms, right? Um, now for the modern scientific mind, the idea of an invisible world around us where there are things going on that we can't see, we can't measure, we can't taste, we, can touch, we can't touch, we just see manifestations of it here and there. That's hard to accept, right? But if you were with us, uh, just not too long ago, we did a series called The Spirit Realm. And in one of those messages I talked about how physicists and mathematicians and scientists accept without really questioning the fact that there is a fourth dimension, a dimension that's, we live in three dimensions, this way, this way, and this way, right? We can see and measure and, 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 and do scientific experiments and all of that in these three dimensions, but there's a fourth dimension that we don't quite understand but scientifically, we know that it's there, and most scientists just accept it as scientific fact. And it's described kind of like Monsters, Inc., where there's a, you know, if there were a door or a portal, you could go through and you'd be right there, but you'd be somewhere else. I mean, it's just mind-blowing stuff. And we accept that. And it sounds an awful lot like the spiritual realm to me, like a world all around us that we can't see, we can't measure, we can't, we can't completely understand, but there's something going on there. 
I don't think it's a far stretch, quite frankly. Okay, well, it says the whole town showed up. They didn't have modern medicine. We've already covered that. They're, you know, when a healer shows up and a fever can kill you, or if you have a birth defect that we would just fix with a quick surgery today, they, were, they had that their whole lives. A healer shows up, you bet everybody's gonna show up. He is a hot commodity. And so this is the first day of Jesus's ministry and it goes until, remember it starts after sunset, it's going to go until one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. Jesus, I promise you, is exhausted. You know, as a pastor, one of the things, if you talk to other pastors, they'll tell you is uh, Sunday afternoons, you're wiped out. And Monday morning, you feel like you got run over by a bus. And so they started doing some research in this. What they found is, is that, and this is not, I'm not just making this up, although you're going to think I am, because all we do is preach for a half hour and then the rest of the week play golf, right? That's, that's the joke. Um, <clears throat> so, but uh, a half hour of preaching is the equivalent physiologically of eight hours of work. Um, and the reason that is, is because when you get up and do this, what I'm doing right here, there is an adrenaline release that is part of this process. Now, if you've ever almost been in a car accident where somebody pulls out in front of you, slam on the brakes, and you're like, I saw my life flash before my eyes, you have an adrenaline release. And all your blood vessels and, and capillaries dilate, and it has all kinds of physiological impact on your, on your body. And it takes 48 to 72 hours to recover from that. Um, and that is what you experience when you preach. So Jesus starts his morning preaching. Right? Preaching and, preaching and teaching. He goes through a full day at Peter's house. After sunset, everybody shows up and they go until two in the morning. I promise you, Jesus is exhausted. An exhilarating first day of ministry. No doubt about it. But he is exhausted, which makes the next, the next verse very interesting. In verse 35, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, so we're talking 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place and where he prayed. So he gets up. So he gets a couple hours of sleep, right? He gets up before everybody else, sneaks out of the, the house, the compound there, and goes and finds a place. I think in maybe a rock overlooking the Sea of Galilee there. But he, he sneaks out of the house, and he gets alone, and he spends time with his heavenly Father, I promise you he didn't want to get up. He had to get up. He had to get up for two reasons. One, he needed to, to connect with his father because this was day one. Like, I, I, I wonder if Jesus was surprised by the day. You know, like, wow, I can do that? You know, I mean, this is just, this is just unfolding in real time. And, and, and the success is overwhelming. The whole town showed up. You're going to plant a church on the first day, the whole town shows up. You don't do better than that. I mean, it's crazy. And he needed some time with his father. The second reason is the people who left there that evening, they're off talking to everybody all around the town and outside the town because there are a lot of sick people. There are a lot of sick people. And, and so they're going to start showing up come daybreak. And he gets by himself and he prays. And this is a pattern that we see Jesus live out over and over again where he'll do 
powerful ministry time or day of ministry, and then he'll go find some time by himself. And it keeps Jesus grounded. And one thing that we're about to see about Jesus and that we will see over and over again in Jesus is that he knows who he is, he knows what he's supposed to do, and he knows where he's supposed to do it. And he is rooted in that. And I think this practice that we see right here of him getting alone and spending time with God is what makes the difference in that. And it's what makes the difference in our lives as well. Like you want to know who you are, what you're supposed to do, where you're supposed to be, spend time with your heavenly father. Jesus did. In verse 36, it says, Simon and his companions went to look for him. Uh, they got up first thing in the morning. There's a line at the door. Like, oh my goodness, it's starting already. This is awesome. Um, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Everyone's looking for you. They're so fired up. I mean, they're hanging out with Jesus. And Jesus is, I mean, it's success every, at every turn. It is, this is gonna be the biggest thing since King David. This is exciting stuff. Most successful day of ministry ever. People started showing up first thing. There's lots and lots of people. And like I said, there were a lot of people. One of the things we learned doing ministry in Vietnam and doing free wheelchairs there is there are way more people in need of a wheelchair and with different types of disabilities um, than anybody is aware of because they don't have wheelchairs. They certainly didn't here and they just keep them kind of stuffed away in back rooms. But a healer just showed up. So people were carrying people, people were dragging cots, they're doing whatever they need to do to get to Jesus and the crowd shows up. And this, this is success. I mean, my goodness. I, I imagine Peter was like, Jesus, we can start a church. It's, I don't even know what a church is yet, but we're gonna start one. And we can do it right down there at the Sea of Galilee. My dad, owned, my father-in-law owns some property, we can build it where the road comes right through here. People will come from everywhere. I mean, they'll come from Jerusalem. They'll come from all over the world to see you. We can build a whole ministry complex here. It's gonna be awesome. We don't need to go anywhere, Jesus. It's perfect. Jesus is like, yeah, I know but that's not what we're gonna do. Like, what do you mean? We got momentum, you, you ride the momentum, right? We, we worship momentum, we, we're anything for momentum. Jesus is like, yeah, let's do something different. Then verse 38, Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else. Let's go somewhere else. What do you mean? That doesn't make any sense, Jesus. Yeah, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go somewhere else, to nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Jesus knew who he was, what he had to do and where he had to do it. And it wasn't going back to Capernaum that day. It wasn't, it would have been very easy for Jesus to get caught up in the success of that moment, especially after the first day. But he had spent that time with his father. He knew that wasn't what he needed to do that day. And he didn't get caught up in the success. He got caught up in God's plan. Guys, that's what you want to. Like we can get caught up in all kinds of things. We can get caught up in success. We can get caught up in failure. We can get caught up in, in the thing that we want really bad. We can get caught up in all kinds of stuff. But the key to not losing our way is spending that time with our heavenly father, 
so that we know who we are, what we're supposed to do, and where we're supposed to do it. Jesus could have very easily gotten caught up in the needs. I mean, there were, there were, there were little kids there that just a touch from Jesus would have changed their entire life. Like, you know, that whole people-pleasing, meeting needs thing that so many of us have. Like, I, Jesus could have gotten pulled right into that. But that's not why I came, he says. Does Jesus heal? Absolutely, he heals. We see that pattern. But he says, that's not, that's not why I have come. I've come to preach, to spread the good news of the kingdom of God, not just in Capernaum, but all over. And because he spent time with God, he knew that. He was able to resist the temptation. He says, so I can preach, that's why I've come. And four times in this chapter, we see Jesus preaching, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, teaching him saying, this is why I have come. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and again, you know, Jesus healed people. That's part of what he did. But there were times like this where there were a bunch of people who needed to be healed and Jesus said, ah, we're going to go over here. There's one time in Jerusalem, there were a bunch of people around this pool that they thought had healing properties. And uh, Jesus looks and he sees a guy and he walks past 15 people to get to this one guy, heals them, and then walks back past all 15 people and leaves. And he's like, this is why I have come. I've come, my primary purpose is preaching, teaching, proclaiming the word of God and the, and the kingdom of God. And so that brings me to this, and this is important. If you have your, uh, your journal, you might want to write this in your journal. If Jesus' primary purpose was preaching, then our primary posture should be learning. I think so often, especially in the context of prayer, our primary posture with God is give me. Give me, give me, give me. Here's my list. I want this, 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 and this. I need you to bless my kids. I need you to bless my business. I need you to, to give me this and, and give me that. And, and boy, if you could make the line short at Chick-fil-A, that would be awesome. You know? And it's give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Fix this, heal this, bless that. When the prodigal son goes to his father in, in Luke chapter 15, he goes to his father and he says, Father, give me. Give me what I got coming. Give me my, my part of the inheritance. And he breaks his father's heart. But then after he blows it and makes a mess of his life and he comes back, you know what he says? He says, make me. Make me like one of your hired servants. Make me whatever you need me to be, just, just make me. And his father, from that posture, enables his father to restore him and to bless him and forgive him and heal him and make him into everything that he was created to be. Guys, that's the posture we have to come to God with. This, the give me posture does not help. Again, if, if Jesus' primary purpose was preaching, our primary posture needs to be grow me, not give me. Now, does this mean that we can't ask God for things? We can't um, present our requests? No. Philippians 4 is very clear. We are to present our requests. But if that's all you're doing you're missing out on the power of prayer. <clears throat> and that's where I wanna to land today, the power and the posture of prayer, because I think that's what we learn most from Jesus in this particular passage. Um, you know, Jesus was able to resist the, the um, temptation 
of success. And it's not that God doesn't want us to be successful. He just wants us to be successful at the right things, right? And if Jesus would have just gone, all right, this works, go, I'm going to take control, he would have lost his way. But he didn't. He listened to his father. And that's what we need to do as well because we, success is a huge temptation for us to take control and double down on the momentum and make it happen, right? And at the end of the day, your life and your purpose and your mission in this world is going to be much better if it's God-directed instead of you-directed. And so that prayer and that posture enables that. And it enabled him to resist the people-pleasing which will hijack your life along the way too. And there are many of us who need to be able to go, you know what, that's not my problem because that's not what God's given me to do right now. Anyway, all right, so prayer kept Jesus on the right path. How much more do we need that? So I wanna give you five secrets to prayer. Five things that will help you with your posture in prayer and, and just praying. And so, again, if you have your, uh, your journal, you can, uh, you can write these down. The first one's this, praying, the, the, the first secret to, to prayer is praying secret prayers. It's praying secret prayers. It's not standing on the street corner, as Jesus, Jesus said this exact thing, go, go stand on the street corner like the religious leaders do and go, oh, dear God, thou art, you know, blah, 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 traveling mercies, whatever else, and, and you know, and, and, and try and impress everybody at your church at home group or, or whatever. Now, praying in a group is fine and good, but Jesus made it very clear when he taught his disciples to pray, you go into your room and you close the door. You, it's, it's not about profound public prayers, it's about powerful personal interactions with God. So first secret is praying secret prayers. The second uh, secret to prayer is that prayer is a visit, not a list and not a mantra. It's a visit, it's time with your heavenly father. You know, if I take a list to a meeting with somebody, it's a meeting. We've got an agenda, we've got some things we wanna do, and uh, we're gonna cover those things. That is not a visit, right? Or if I were to go into a meeting or a, a visit with somebody and then I just said the same phrases over and over again, a mantra, that would just be really weird, right? God wants us to spend time with him and sometimes you will sit and have nothing to say and God will speak to you and he has a lot to tell you. Other times, you'll have a lot to say and God will listen. And sometimes, and I think some of the more profound times I know for me is when I sit down or I go for a walk with God and I don't have anything to say and he doesn't have anything to say and we're just together. And, we walk, and, and, and I walk away from those, those times more sure of who I am, what I'm supposed to do and where I'm supposed to do it but you gotta spend time with them. You know, here's one thing I know is true. You have never had a good relationship with somebody that you didn't spend time with. You might admire them from a distance, you might know about them, but you don't have a relationship with somebody you don't spend time with. Now, what does this need to look like? Well, <clears throat> for some of us, um, I think for a lot of us, we think, well, I gotta get up at 5.30 in the morning because Jesus got up at 5.30 in the morning or maybe 4.30 in the morning. I gotta get up then and then I gotta, I gotta go find a rock to sit on or maybe a chair in the house and I'm gonna need my Bible and I'm gonna need my journal and, and I, I need to sit quietly for at least you know, an hour. And, 
Guys, if that's what prayer has to look like, I suck at prayer. I, I have ADD off the charts. I have a hard time sitting and staying focused when there's a real person in front of me, let alone the invisible God, right? Because I just like, I can't go fishing because I can't sit still that long. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, we're gonna pray for you. Um, but at any rate, um, God's wired me that way. So the Lord and I, we go for walks. I'll go for a motorcycle ride and I'll turn the music off and I'll just listen. But you gotta, for me, I gotta make those times or those times don't happen. And I have to spend that time with him. But it doesn't have to be sitting quietly in a chair by yourself for an hour, you know. It's just, I think that might set some of us at ease a little bit. All right, which brings me to the third secret to prayer and that is actually praying. You have to do it. You have to schedule it. You know, if it's, here's what I've learned in my own life and in discipling other people over the years is that if we don't have it on the schedule, everything else will push it out. And it won't happen. Actually pray. Make time and make space and talk to God. Be with God. Visit with God. And you might have to make a sacrifice. I mean, for some of us, the only time you're going to be able to do that is by sacrificing 15 minutes, half hour sleep in the morning because you're not going to find quiet the rest of the day because of, of where your kids are. Okay, well, sometimes we need to make sacrifices. This one's worth making. Fourth secret is this. Prayer is about changing you, not changing God. It's about changing you, not changing God. You know, um, Again, we come to God with our list and we're like, we're gonna try and get God to do what we want him to do. And, and um, that's not really the purpose of prayer. I mean, we can present our requests and that's great and he hears our prayers. But the real purpose of prayer is getting God to change us and make us more like him. If you're only coming to God to get, that's a problem. That's not a, ever gonna be a powerful prayer life. Um, you ever have a friend, friend, who every time they call and you see their number come up on your phone, you're like, yeah, I'm not going to answer that right now. I'm going to let that go to voicemail. Because they just, they just suck you dry. They always want something. You know, some of you are, quit pointing to the people next to you. Stop. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, I mean, that's a real thing. Don't do that with God. Like, how's it going, Dad? That's a good way to start a prayer. The fifth secret to prayer is this. Prayer is about a relationship, not religion. It's about a relationship with God. You gotta think about it that way. Because otherwise, we'll try and manipulate God. We'll try and get him to do what we want. We'll, we'll try and memorize prayers to recite. We'll, you know, and, and God just wants to be with you. He wants to know you and he wants you to know him. And if you'll come to him with that in mind, like let's lose the religion and spend some time with our heavenly father. Instead of finding religion, you will find a relationship. Instead of finding Christianity, you'll find Christ. And you'll find that he is the most compelling, most loving, the most transformative figure in the history of the world and right now. And that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. 
And not only will you understand that and maybe even have a clearer picture of what that is, who you are, where, what you're supposed to be doing, where you're supposed to be doing, you might also just realize how much he loves you. You know, the, the 12-steppers, AA, and, and that whole um, gang, they, one of the steps they talk about having a, maintaining a conscious contact with God, and I just love that phraseology. Like, it's about relationship. And relationships don't happen on accident. We have to spend our time with the people that we want quality relationships with. Let me encourage you this week to spend some time with God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that there's so much in your word. I pray that you would uh, just continue to uh, open our hearts and our minds um, to all the treasures and gems that are in there, God, and that as we continue through this series, that you would transform each and every one of our lives, that we would know you, Lord, not as a religion and not as a far-off figure, but as our heavenly Father who loves us, who is right here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.